house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. is Truman Capote. The district attorney doesn't take calls from strange women. Who says I'm strange? Will you confirm that there is more than one killer? Unless the killer was a hypnotist. Beg your pardon, ma'am? It's illogical to suppose there's only one killer. That small town stuff, that suspicion, that gossip, <laughs> that is your world as much as this, maybe <laughs> even more. Have you met them? My dear, I've been in their cells. does have the tender and the terrible side by side. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. The truth is enough. I've worked on this book ceaselessly for four years. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast bestowed with multiple feathers of cowardice. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my homoerotic murderer, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Homoerotic murderer who fully, like just for mend before he came here i mean like it's i w- daniel craig's hair in this movie is straight shoe polish it is and i wonder if i would think that if i didn't know what he normally looks like but i think i, I would mean. i think i would it really does look like he like shoe polish is the right word for it that really is does is the sense but it's so funny that Obviously, and we'll, you know, as is our want, we get ahead of ourselves right away. Um, this is the same year, Daniel Craig in Infamous is the same year that he's in Casino Royale, which is when his whole career like levels up and whatever. And it's funny to think about it because what was the big brouhaha when he got cast as James Bond? It was like, is the world ready for a blonde James Bond, right? All of those headlines, James Blonde, yada, yada, like people were like mostly English people, because, like, they very, very much care about James Bond. But there was this, like, very uh, serious, like, people were actually seriously being like, I don't know whether we can handle a James Bond who is blonde. And it's funny that in that same year that he is in this other movie where he is just hiding his light under a bushel and just, like, absolutely uh, (laughs) just fermenting his hair, as you put it, um... Yeah, it's very funny. It's a very funny juxtaposition. What did you th- had you seen this movie before uh, uh, watching it for the purposes of this episode? I had, I had not As in had theaters, I. but I'd seen this. Yeah, me too. Um, around, not too long after it became available on DVD, so probably in like oh seven, oh eight, something like that. As like a morbid curiosity, right? I didn't expect to like it. I think. It exceeded lower lowered expectations for me when I saw it then. Right, and now I I still think it's pretty good. It's shocking to me how little it changes from Capote. And I know they were both being made right. around the same time. They're being made in parallel, so it's not like one was copying the other. Even though this came out in theaters a year after. Yeah, this was filming like. 
a month or two after Capote had wrapped, basically. And, well, the thing is, they, the kind of beginning and end, and basically kind of the plot mechanics of this movie are the same, but they have, you know, kind of tonal differences. They have, like, the business of the movie the, is different. Right. The big difference with Infamous is that, and and the most sort of obvious one, is that it includes a lot more of his life among the socialites in New York City. That's why we have all these sort of glitzy mm-hmm. casting decisions with Sigourney Weaver and Hope Davis and Gwyneth Paltrow and all this. And... To a point where I wish this movie had delved into that more, if if for no other reason than to differentiate it more from Capote. Right. Because once it does get into the business of him going to Kansas and writing about the In Cold Blood murders, is it's not just that it's the same subject matter, but it like it hits the same themes and it hits the same plot points to the point where He's name dropping the same celebrity names when he impresses the the sheriff's wife mm-hmm. to get him access. And I understand that like this these are things that really happened. Obviously, these are probably oft told anecdotes within the circles that I mean, you know what I mean? I imagine Truman Capote told his story eight billion times at parties and whatnot. And this infamous is is um based on, at least in part, a book by George Plimpton. So I understand that like these are anecdotes that exist and yet right the similarities the fact that like like the Harper the Nell Harper Lee character in both of them is essentially hitting the same beats that with I think one crucial difference that we'll get into later Truman and Perry are hitting very similar beats that the mm-hmm. internal conflict in Truman is the same in both of them, even though the performances are distinct from each other. And obviously yeah, pretty different, even though that voice really does tie them together because you really do have to go for the Truman Capote voice. If you're going to play this character, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it, it was surprising to me watching it again, that it was that both projects were just so similar on so many levels. Oh yeah. Totally. I mean, I do think it's weird because in some stretches of this movie, this movie looks worse in comparison to Capote because it's mm. like that whole like final third of the movie where Truman Capote begins to like kind of struggle with how much this has consumed his mind, his life, and how it ultimately kind of breaks him. Both movie, both movies essentially make the same point um, that the process of writing in cold blood did essentially like ruin him or break him. Um, But that is much more successful in Capote, I think because you get kind of an actual character trajectory. And in this movie, especially on this rewatch, I was, I felt like all of the sudden Truman Capote was like, I can't handle it anymore. Um, You know, just kind of out of the blue and maybe because the, like the business, as I put it, of this movie is focusing on some other things before it really like, you know, centers back to Truman Capote's experience. Well, and this is why, I think that, oh, I was going to say, you know, that's something that makes that this looks worse by comparison, but like the comparison to Capote also makes this movie look good because like it, you know, Capote, which is a movie that I love very, very much is like 
bone dry. So by comparison, all of this like socialite, you know, vibrancy, the right. stretches of the movie that feel almost more comedic than it is dramatic. I think it plays a little bit better than it would if Capote wasn't there. Because, I agree like, with that. And it makes me wish this movie had leaned even farther in that direction. And right, I understand that like, because it's not enough. It didn't have time to differentiate itself because it didn't know what in this other movie it was going to be differentiating from very likely. Uh, and yet I wish, especially with the title, the title is infamous. Um, Originally, it was supposed to be called Every Word is True, which feels like it's more applicable to um, the the Perry Smith case. And yet, it also could pertain to the sort of gossipy nature of him as a sort of, you know, New York gadfly, essentially. And I I wish this movie had leaned further into that, if only to give me something different something else something where i don't really have to compare it to capote so often and then you can utilize this really kind of like wonderful cast and then lean into this idea that truman is this sort of friend to all but everybody mostly knows not to trust him right everybody mostly knows not to tell him too much because it'll get around and that kind of thing and mm-hmm. and then you maybe bring in the stuff in kansas as a you know as an extension of that later on in the movie i don't know i don't know how i would have done it differently and maybe it's just sort of the coincidence of fate that make it more of a problem for me i don't know it's it's trying to do a lot of things and maybe be two or three different movies Mm -hmm. at once yeah that you know I don't think it's a bad movie. No, I, I don't either. It, it's fine. It's just like you can see the version of it that's great. And by that, I don't mean Capote, Bennett Miller's Capote. I right. mean, like, right. you know. It did make me really, really, really want to go and revisit Capote after watching this, though. Um, Exceptional I, film. I watched a bunch of the clips, and I, I, I've only really seen it the one time. So Really? Yes, back, the, back when it was new. Like, even when we did the... Um, uh, queer Oscars draft for screen drafts, I ran out of time before I was able to rewatch that one. And I felt, I sort of mm. felt bad that I wasn't able to do that. Um, so I would really, really, really like to revisit it and especially revisit the Hoffman and Keener performances, which were both nominated, obviously. But we are not talking about Capote because Capote was successful with the Oscars. We are talking about <laughs> the movie that came uh, a year later. And yeah, I'm a year excited. Later and as if Capote didn't exist, was rather, you know, in the buildup, embraced by the establishment in a way that's still quite surprising before it opened and absolutely no one saw it. I will say, like, kind of kudos to Warner Independent for giving this one the old college try. This one made the the for real festival circuit, like Venice, Telluride, Toronto, they pushed it. They got an Independent Spirit Award for Daniel Craig. Like this movie, very could have easily could have like sort of slunk away and been like, "Well, they beat us to the starting gate. There's nothing we can do now. They've won. Capote has won. Now, whatever." And Warner Independent did right by Douglas McGrath. I would say by you know, actually putting the effort into pushing this movie. It ultimately didn't do anything, right. but I 
I imagine if I were Douglas McGrath, as frustrated as I would have been by the circumstances surrounding it, I would have at least been, you know, happy for that. Same for Toby Jones, because this was basically kind of a breakthrough role for him. That's, yeah. There's something... Uh, it, we'll we'll talk about their two performances. I don't want to throw it all out there at the yeah. beginning, but yeah. like we'll talk about Toby Jones. Poor Toby Jones. Like, twice in his career, he's been in the lesser, less attention version of a biopic where he plays the central character, right? Where he was in the HBO TV movie about Hitchcock the same year. As right. Hitchcock, and then he was in uh, Infamous only a year after Capote, and I don't know. It's it's too bad. I like Toby Jones. I think Toby Jones is a very interesting actor. This was the same year uh, that The Painted Veil came out. The Painted Veil came out a few months after Infamous. Mm-hmm. And also I remember, a Warner Independent movie. Also a movie we've done on this podcast, and I remember both of us liking him a good bit in that movie, right? Right, yes? right, right, right. Yeah. Toby Jones also noted on screen romantic partner to none other than Isabella Huppert. <laughs> oh, wait, in what? In Happy End. Michael Hanukkah's Happy God, End. God, that's right. I forget so much about Happy End. I forget actors who were in it. I forget. Uh... Listen, uh, people didn't like that movie. I think it didn't get a fair shot. I think it's a good movie. I think whatever inevitable uh, movie about the Trumps that we do not want will not be as good of a movie about the Trumps as this movie is. Um... Here's what I remember. There was a road that leads down towards like a beach <laughs> and there was a karaoke scene where somebody sings Chandelier, right? Uh, yes. Uh, Fran Rogowski does uh, see a chandelier, including with a handstand. The movie ends <laughs> really funny um, in a way that I don't want to spoil. Um, I saw yeah. this movie with you. You remember so much more of it than I do. It's very funny. Well, I've seen it again. Okay, well, there we go. All right. All right, well, why don't we jump into the plot description for Infamous and get this show on the road? We've got a lot to um, delve into sort of extracurricularly. We have, spoiler, two performers in this movie who are reaching our six-timers club. So we have a super-sized, mega-sized quiz for, uh, for Chris for this and a very big sort of glitzy, starry cast that we'll probably want to get into the component parts of so uh let's get going we're going to be talking about yeah 2006's infamous today written and directed by douglas mcgrath as i said based on uh george plimpton's book truman capote in which various friends enemies acquaintances and detractors recall his turbulent career which to me feels like uh the genesis of the framing device in this that doesn't really stick around as much as I would wanted it to, where uh, all of his friends are kind of giving interview bites about him. But anyway, uh, it's not it's not, you know, Linda Levin sitting poolside and being the Ricardos, but it's not not Linda Levin. It's not not that they, they all look like they're on the set of Entertainment Tonight. They all look like they're being interviewed by like, uh, uh, you know, who's the guy who's uh, uh I can't remember. The guy who took over for John Tesh. Whatever. Mary Hart. They all sound, they all look like they're being interviewed by Mary Hart. That's a better <laughs> reference anyway. Okay. Um, Jules Asner for E. Something like that. I just realized, listening to the screen drafts on Steven Soderbergh, uh, that Jules Asner, Steven Soderbergh's wife, who used to be an E 
uh, reporter, wrote the screenplay for Logan Lucky under a pseudonym. I never realized that. Really? I know that she wrote something else, but that is interesting. Yeah. Logan Lucky, the best uh, Soderbergh movie of the last uh, many years. Anyway. Incorrect, sir. We'll have this argument later. It is. We'll have this I love Let Them All Talk, too. Let Them All Talk is a strong second, but Logan Lucky is the best one of, of his late career. All right. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll not get into it. I almost said we'll get into it. We absolutely <laughs> won't get into it. Uh, I promise you that. All right. This movie, Infamous, starred Toby Jones, Daniel Craig, Sandra Bullock, Lee Pace, Jeff Daniels, Sigourney Weaver, Hope Davis, Peter Bogdanovich, Isabella Rossellini, John Benjamin Hickey, Juliet Stevenson, and Gwyneth Paltrow as definitely not Peggy Lee, even though we all thought that that's who she was going to be playing. We'll talk about that, too. <laughs> it premiered at the Venice Film Festival on August 31st, 2006, before stopping over in Telluride and then Toronto, and then finally premiering in a limited release on October 13th, 2006, and not... I can't imagine it expanded very much. It did not have a very <laughs> robust box office take. I will tell you that much. Um, but anyway, Chris, I'm going to pull out my little stopwatch. Yeah. And you're going to get a, a solid 60 seconds to deliver the plot of Infamous. Are you ready? I think so. All right. And begin. Okay, so we follow Truman Capote in his life in New York City where he's, you know, always boozing up socialites and, you know, gossiping and such. He hears about a uh, family murder, uh, an entire family being murdered in Kansas, and he goes to, you know, research it, do a whole new reportage, and he brings along his friend, Nell Harper Lee. Uh, meanwhile, he is, like, ingratiating himself to the police force and getting all these type of interviews from all the different people in the town, and he thinks he's going to be done, and he thinks it's going to be a book, but then they catch the murderers, and then he ingratiates himself to the murderers, Dick and Perry. 30 seconds. He and Perry have this weird connection because they have like similar shared traumatic histories, but then there's kind of like a weird queer like connection there. And like, meanwhile, as Truman Capote is writing this book and hyping it up, it's driving him crazy and he's losing his whole life to it. And meanwhile, he, uh, the, uh, Dick and Perry get Ten a sentence and then they, uh, are executed and Truman's there and he never writes another book again. Boom, with four seconds to spare. Not bad. All right. So the only time I've ever done it. And you know why that was easy? Because I'm describing two movies. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here's what I want to lead with is, and to be clear, I have not read the book in Cold Blood, nor have I read any of these books about Truman Capote and his life. So like, I am not an authority. But just from watching this movie and having watched Capote, to what degree are we supposed to take the lengths to which this Truman Capote, Perry Smith attraction, uh, you know, sort of torrid, whatever, emotional, perhaps physical relationship that they had, to what degree are we supposed to take that as gospel truth versus the world through Truman's perception. This is somewhat of a departure between the two movies. The first one, I think, would definitely kind of say that there is a connection. I'm not sure factually what all we know or have documented right. of what the extent of their relationship was. They right. had a lot of correspondence together. Right. And, you know, it, Truman Capote was there often enough and you know was present at their execution etc yeah um 
But this movie, however, implies that it's, or not just implies, like it kind of outright says it. It basically says that Perry attempted to rape Truman Capote. And I don't, I feel like we would maybe have some documentation of that. Um, But then also like at fully like says that he fell in love with him during this process. Which I think is interpreted as such by a lot of people. And maybe Capote had said it since, but like, to what extent can you, a free person, right? you know? Well, and so here's where we get at uh, sort of my main differentiating factor between the two films, which is the power dynamic between these two. In Infamous, I feel like because Daniel Craig is giving a sort of stronger performance. When I say stronger, I don't mean qualitatively. I mean um, in in temperament, in in bigger par- choices. In, yes, uh, a stronger performance as Perry than Clifton Collins does in Capote, and I think Clifton Collins is tremendous. He should have been Oscar nominated 1, for that role. Um, I think in Infamous, I think Perry has more of a, if not upper hand, then a more of a, a a leading role in that relationship that those two share. If not, if not dominant, then at least um, more of a presence. Whereas. Infamous also brings up that it might have created some strife between Truman Capote and his longtime partner, Jack. Right. I think in Capote, I think, and this is part of the reason why I think Hoffman's performance is the superior one and so good, which is not necessarily even to slight Toby Jones. But I think in Capote, Hoffman is able to get across... And of course, part of that is in the screenplay too, Dan Futterman's screenplay, which writes it specifically in... Uh, get across the power that Truman holds in this relationship and is not afraid to wield. And, mm-hmm. and he is definitely like, he's the aggressor in a lot of it and not in terms of the, any romantic relationship, just in terms of what he wants out of that relationship, which is his own selfish, you know, what he needs to get out of him. That scene in Capote where he's like, you don't know any, you don't know the meaning of any words that I don't know. The only thing I need from you is to tell me what happened on that night. This whole thing is absurd, right? That whole scene sums it all up. Infamous doesn't have that. And it doesn't have anything that reflects that part of the dynamic beyond these moments where you see that, you know, Truman needs to finish his book it's they both hit both movies hit the same beat where truman needs to have a verdict in order to give his uh, uh book an ending and sort of selfishly hopes for these executions on some level because it'll give his book an ending and he selfishly needs that um but i think capote gets across far far better the sort of power that truman holds in that relationship does that make sense? I'm sort of talking around in uh, the issue. Uh, one, uh, yes, I, and I completely agree. I think another element of it, too, is their relationship is also viewed through... Uh, or I, You know, it feels hinted on in this movie where it is kind of explicitly put in Capote that, you know, 
Truman sees, uh, looks at Perry and sees, you know, someone very, very similar who had similar horrible experiences to him. Yes. And in another life, essentially, Truman can look at him and say, in another life, I would be a murderer. Yeah. And that is both part of their connection, but also part of why this was such a damaging experience to Truman Capote to have to, you know, live this book that he's writing. This Yeah book that like basically changes nonfiction writing um yeah like that that is much more clearly defined and interesting than infamous infamous i'm not sure that for as much time as it spends on the relationship between truman and perry that it's not that it's all that interesting the one thing i thought that infamous could like almost walks up to the line of doing that capote doesn't do is this sense of Truman as his own unreliable narrator. And I know Mm -hmm. we've got a movie coming up where the concept of an unreliable narrator will give us both hives just to to hear it again. (laughs) Um, But, but bear with me here. But this idea that because there's, there's some level where everything Truman says you take with the grain of salt, right? You take with how much of this is myth, self-mythologizing, how much of this is self-serving. He's, we get the part in the movie where he sort of admits the truth of his mother's death, which is not the story that he had been telling other people. And he sort of uses this idea of candidness weaponizes this idea of candidness, right? He does this with his socialite friends. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a thing that I'm not telling anybody else. And all of these things are, you know, he, he, he's, he's not to be trusted with a story, not because he's a bad person, but because he is by his nature, a writer, right? A, a, you know, something of a fabulist, something of a embellisher of, of truths. And, and, not necessarily a liar, but like he's he's in the business of creating a story rather than reporting, which I think is the crux of what you were saying about you know how this changes sort of nonfiction writing and and uh, crime reporting and this whole kind of thing. And infamous because it includes so many of the parts of the story that include his socialite friends and his time in New York. I think really could have zeroed in on that as a theme more heavily and i think would have been Mm -hmm. really interesting for that yeah like you almost wish that in cold blood was something that was happening in the background of this movie because this movie can both be kind of an interesting character study and a lot of fun when it is like him with these kind of somewhat dire nosy but also fabulous socialites played by like isabella rossellini um yeah isabella rossellini is um oh wait i had these all written down and now i can't uh think isabella rossellini plays uh marella agnelli hope davis plays slim keith sigourney weaver plays babe paley and my favorite uh juliet stevenson Stevenson! as diana vreeland as Diana Vreeland, by way of Lauren Bacall, I'm going to say. Like, that's my yes. favorite thing about her Diana Vreeland impersonation, is it really, really, really borders on Lauren Bacall in a kind of amazing way. She's so funny. Yeah. 
she tells the story about how she has the maid iron her money. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's really tremendous. Now, of course, we're coming at this in the summer of 2022, where on RuPaul's Drag Race, Raja has laid down a tremendous Diana Vreeland impersonation. What inspires you now? Purple mittens. <laughs> <laughs> So I was kind of saying purple mittens in my head during all of her scenes. And yet I was really living for Juliet Stevenson's performance. I really wish she had been been in more of this movie because she's really, really funny. I mean, that is kind of what you want. It's kind of what they sold the movie on. Yes. And, uh, you know... Dan- I don't think Daniel Craig is all that good, so it's like a lot of those por- those portions of the movie are whatever. Uh, even Sandra Bullock's Harper Lee pales in comparison, unfortunately. Yeah. She- well, I mean, it, that uh, I, I listen. We love Sandra Bullock. I do podcast. too. I don't. I listen. The, there are very limited circumstances where I'm going to slight Sandra Bullock, but like Catherine Keener does a better performance of that role. With less, even. Yeah, yes. Um, I mean, the movie is structured more that you feel her presence throughout it, yes. whereas, like, listen to me hitting my hard tease. Um, uh, but, and Sandra Bullock, when she exits the movie, kind of exits beyond the framing device of, you know, Linda Levinson poolside. Um, and, but it, it, it I do. For think every she time is... you bring up Linda Lavin sitting poolside as a pejorative, all I can think of was I loved that device. I thought it was so delightful. <laughs> you know, it was a really, really difficult week. <laughs> we had a lot working against I us. I was so happy to see her. But we came together and we pulled it off. They did, though, Chris. Really they did pull it week. off. They did pull it off. It was a crazy week. So, no lies told. Um, no, you're you're not wrong though that uh the parts of this movie that stray farthest from the case make it a more make it tonally something distinct in a way that I really would have right. appreciated. Well, and in this kind of like uh not quite sleazy but almost e entertainment television gossiping way like, like a gossip, movie about you know? a movie about Truman Capote can be gossipy like that is not a that is not a you know a sour note to hit with this Capote doesn't but I hit think that even but it, but this when one you could. have the portions of like the the research the in cold bloodness of this movie when Sandra Bullock is there for yeah. some reason Sandra Bullock playing Harper Lee contributes to that so then in the back half of the movie when it's not there yeah. you have you know uh daniel craig as branson's finest uh danny zuko or... wow i don't think he's that bad in this movie i don't think he's like a highlight but i i don't have a problem with him in this film i, I i'm maybe being mean compared to how bad that i think he is yeah um because it's fine it's fine yeah nobody is outright bad in this movie but yeah no i'll tell you who is and i don't want to pick on somebody who is less famous than all these other people but this movie could have really really done with a better gore vidal i know it's just one moment it's just essentially one line reading but like it's gore vidal you really gotta eat with that role you know what i mean you've got to show up 
yeah. with a with a napkin tied around your neck, ready you need to, to take feast. your time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You really got to roll around in that syllable. role. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Gorvidal, the thing about carry out food. <laughs> the last thing... time, <laughs> go for it. I request. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go into some Gorvidal bit right now. But like, I do have. I'm suddenly thinking of like Gorvidal ordering takeout food. Well, yeah, I mean, we've all we seen... are we are homosexuals who have watched many a Gorvidal interview clip. We've watched the thing with him and what's his face, um, whose name now I can't. I'm not gonna remember the conservative uh, God. columnist who he calls a crypto fascist. <laughs> <laughs> remember, and then. And then, uh, and then he gets threatened with uh, with God, a punch in the face. God, I okay. Buckley, I William make F. Buckley, some people Jesus mad, Christ. But like, yeah. we just we. Where is our Gorvidal? I was gonna say. We, uh, wait, are you are you about to be like we used to have a we used to have a culture? We used to have a country. We used to have a proper country. We used to have country. real gay people. <laughs> now I we mean, get. I don't know. We Listen, have... we were just we were just uh, praising uh, the recent happenings of RuPaul's Drag Race, but I'm like, now we just have Ross Matthews. <laughs> All right. Well, I do feel that's maybe a little bit unfair. We... That's maybe unfair, but like, yeah, I don't know. We need more famous, mean, bitchy, gay intellectuals. <laughs> we can we can have that discussion. I do feel like we've got plenty of bitchy people. <laughs> like, I don't feel like a lack of bitchiness is our problem, but. Uh... Uh, we can have that debate. The thing about Gore Vidal, but we don't have a Gore Vidal. Going we certainly on, don't. Like, we certainly don't have that anymore. Uh, we don't have a Truman Capote. No, well, no, I don't know. This I would, I would, I would really need to think about it because, like, we, I do feel like we maybe, I think, because we are in the soup of a gay culture that is a lot more pervasive than it used to be that is a lot more sure. you know what i mean sure. that we maybe we sure. take some things for granted and miss the forest for the trees and certain things but anyway i would really need to sit down and uh and think about that for a while before can i tell you when i was opining. introduced to truman capote wait no i didn't know that very how old were you personally. in studio 54 are you kidding me wait what oh. yes he he was in the delivery room when i was born <laughs> uh, no my cultural introduction to truman well capote. wait a second he was alive in the no, you're younger than me, though. I forget that sometimes. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'm pretty sure he died before either of us were born. Looking it up right now. I'm going to venture guess that he was alive when I was alive, but let's see. Yeah, he died in 1984. So he and I have over- overlapped a very little bit. God, he was only 59 he was, when he died. That's yeah. sad. He was your nanny. Yes. <laughs> It was it was like the omen where he sort of showed up at my parents' house one <laughs> he's day. He's your Billy Whitelaw. Yeah, he's my Billy Whitelaw. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's bringing in a bunch of Rottweilers. Yep, yep, and... yep. Totally. Yep. Is that a Rottweiler in that movie? Anyway, it is. Oh, I'm so pretty sure. Yeah. When I came into awareness of Truman Capote, yeah. Did you ever see Isn't She Great with Bette Midler? No, I know I'm aware Lane, of it, but I did not where see Where she it. plays Jacqueline Suzanne. Yes, I know of writer it. Writer yeah. of Valley of the Dolls. Right, right. They have, I be- if I remember, because I remember the scene distinctly, even though I probably haven't seen it in 20 years, because uh-huh. um, I had like taped it off HBO, and as a young gay boy, I watched a lot of that movie. Yeah. Um, they have either footage or recreate footage of 
Truman Capote being interviewed about Valley of the Dolls and Jacqueline Suzanne's success. Uh-huh. And he says, that's not writing, that's typing. <laughs> like, we need that kind of bitchiness back. Uh, I guarantee you... I guarantee you there. And plus, we still have, like, John Waters. I know that, like, he's, you know... We are a nicer culture, too. Like, you're not gonna have, like, JVN being, like, this fool, you know? No, you're right. We are a nicer culture. I'm hesitant to complain about that, because whatever. I don't know, whatever. This is the whole other... This is literally a symposium that you and I are going to probably disagree about. And, and, okay, and we, can't, we can't go down this road. It's, it's, too, much of a, it's too much of a detour. Anyway, I just wanted to bring up my introduction to Truman Capote. Yes. I, they do both say I'm Truman Capote exactly the same. They do. They do. Um, and I wonder if they maybe like went to the same like uh, primary source in something. You know what I mean? Some old <laughs> the interview. same interview. Yeah, essentially, essentially, yeah. Uh, it's he's definitely a subject I would love to delve into a lot more. That kind of era of, um, you know, sort of socialites and you know, sort of wealthy New York and you know, ensconced away from everything else that was going on, but had these sort of high-minded, not necessarily ideals is the wrong word, but sort of this sort of high culture uh, airs that everybody would sort of put on. It seems like an interesting, an interesting milieu to be in. I mean, it is maybe the prototypical, like, real housewives culture where it's like, it's the idea of high culture, but also like mining and trash. Like, it's the scene of... Toby Jones and Hope Davis buying a giant stack of porn from a yes. newsstand. Yeah. Yeah. Hope Davis and Gwyneth Paltrow in uh, in a movie together that we also, uh, for the first time since another movie we also did, which was Proof, um, that actually came out pretty much exactly a year before this one did, I would say. It's very so. important proof. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So let's start with Gwyneth, actually, because she was in the very first scene of this movie. It's the only scene she's in. She, I would imagine, is doing a favor for Douglas McGrath because she starred in, uh, Emma for him, Mm -hmm. uh, all those years ago. He was the director of uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow version of Emma. She, again, as I said in the intro, is not playing Peggy Lee, even though in the run up to this movie, she had been credited as playing Peggy Lee at some point in some press release when she got cast, she was going to be playing Peggy Lee. That's what we were all sort of going on to the point where I didn't realize the first time that I saw this movie that she wasn't because if you miss, (laughs) if you miss the part where the band leader sort of introduces her as Kitty Dean, you wouldn't know and then she's gone from the movie so you're just like oh i i know that i had heard that she plays peggy lee so i guess that was peggy lee she's Maybe the peggy lee estate read that deadline article i this imagine deadline and was like no 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 i imagine that's what that's my guess that that because kitty dean is the only real name that you get in this movie that is not a real person so i imagine that And she's playing a very Peggy Lee-esque character, even though what I saw on Wikipedia, which grain of salt Wikipedia, was that the part in the beginning where she stops singing and sort of 
Um, it seems like maybe something's overcome her or whatever. And then she picks it back up again. And it's like showmanship um, is something that Barbara Cook apparently did in a uh, performance one time, which is uh, very cool. I like any time when this we movie sort Cook. of lives on anecdotes because this mo- this feels like a movie that is very much about the power of an anecdote. Um, Gwyneth singing in a movie, I'm never going to not like it. Right? Lovely voice. She has a lovely voice. Yeah. Also, she's singing a Cole Porter song, which again ties back to a previous episode with The Lovely. Yeah, this feels, and that felt very, very correct. This sort of idea. You could just like blur this movie into The Lovely and they are the same. Yeah. Well, and also it just feels like that's the kind of music that, you know, these people would sit around and listen to and just be like, ah, you know, they still don't make them like they used to anymore. I imagine this was That's what a... pop music used to be. Yeah. I, I imagine this was a sort of strata of society that was looking at the... What years does this take place in? Is this early... I believe it's the early 60s. Early 60s, it's... late 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I imagine sort of looking at the cultural changes that were on the horizon and being like, oh, why do we need it? You know what I mean? Like that kind of a thing. <laughs> um... So, yeah, so that's Gwyneth's only scene. What, give, me, give me your rundown of the other, the, we talk about Juliette Stevenson, the other women who play Truman's fancy lady friends, and also uh, Peter Bogdanovich. <laughs> and also, I mean, Peter Bogdanovich could be fancy lady friend. Right. Um, well, we have uh, Isabella Rossellini, in Laura Linney's Nocturnal Animals hair. <laughs> Thank um, you. She's fabulous. Yeah. I I love I I'm not like over the moon about Marcel the Shell in the way that other people are. I but haven't I seen that... it yet. I'm excited to see it, but I haven't seen it. I yet. just love that we're living in a moment where we appreciate um Isabella Rossellini saying syllables, any syllables. <laughs> um because every word out of her mouth in this movie is exquisite and she is saying probably the most wrote material of all of these supporting players yeah she's there to just be like essentially ask leading questions about the case so that he can what's about the other man yeah yeah exactly it's about yeah Yeah. um which kind of all of them are once once that part of the story kicks in that we we don't get any more about him gossiping with babe paley and slim keith about goings on in the city anymore then it's just they all exist to ask him about stuff that's going on so that he can advance that story which is one of the things i build up hype for the book which is one of the things i don't love about the movie that it really just sort of drops all of that as i have mentioned so i don't need to keep harping. well and they also become kind of interchangeable characters like hope davis feels like maybe the young hip one of them you know yeah um and then Sigourney Weaver who is the she has her big scene is relaying to Truman Capote that her husband is cheating on her right Bill Paley um, of the Paley Center and and CBS and all of that yes. Uh, yes pioneers one of the pioneers of the television medium Bill Paley you would have thought when you watch this trailer that you are getting a lot of Gwyneth but in the trailer mm-hmm. you're getting all of Gwyneth as she exists. Basically, yes. (laughs) Basically, yes. Yeah. So, speaking of then Sigourney Weaver and Gwyneth Paltrow, this here episode 
marks the as a sort of a first for us. We talk about our six timers club uh, where we have reached the sixth film in an actor or actress's uh, career that we've covered on this podcast. This is the first time we've ever reached a six timers club distinction for two people at the same time. So infamous puts both Gwyneth Paltrow and Sigourney Weaver over into six timers territory. This is very exciting. We did not do this on purpose. This as as many things we do on this podcast, this sort of came about by accident. Uh, very exciting, though, Chris. And uh, we also <laughs> missed our last or well, one of our last. We ones don't with have Julie to. Roberts. It's fine. We'll get it. We'll get it. We don't have we'll to get keep, it the next time. We, we don't do have Julia. to keep admitting our mistakes. We can do it. We can. We can figure that out. It's fine. When have we ever made a mistake? Never. Um, yeah. So right. So our our. Of course, I'm about to give you a quiz, Chris. So when I rattle off the names of these movies that we've covered by these two wonderful actresses, feel free to jot them down because they will be the subject of the quiz that I will be giving you. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow, we've done, of course, her playing Sylvia Plath in Sylvia, her opposite Ben Affleck in Bounce, her being good at math in Proof, her being a fucked up psychologist's daughter in Running with Scissors. Her, what was the plot of Possession? In Possession. <laughs> and Her being British in Possession. Right, and then her playing not Peggy Lee in Infamous. Sigourney Weaver, for her part, played the Queen of Spain in uh, 1492 Conquest of Paradise. She was a older woman hooking up with a younger man in right that's the plot of tadpole right that's the whole yeah. thing yeah um in the ice storm she is also a lady carrying on an illicit affair this time with kevin klein in the ice storm she's got heavy heavy eye makeup going on in exodus gods and kings she's Sigourney Weaver in the Meyerowitz stories. She is very Hi, much I'm Sigourney. She's Sigourney in the Meyerowitz stories. It is a it is a robust enough cameo for it to count for our purposes. And so yes, she's playing Babe Paley and Infamous. So eleven films in total, Chris. I'm not giving you two separate quizzes. I'm giving you one mega quiz. Mega quiz. So the answers to these questions will be any of those eleven films. All right. I love this. All right. This, like, reaches very far back into it our does. history. It's 1492 Conquest of Paradise, our sixth episode. So, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, we run the gamut here. All right. So, to begin, uh, which one of those 11 movies was the longest? Oh, God. Which of the two Ridley Scotts? I'm going to guess that it's Exodus Gods and Kings. It's not. Is it 1492? It's 14 by like seven minutes. It's literally like, it's, I think it's, I think it's, yeah, this is 156 minutes. 1492 is 156 minutes. Exodus Gods and Kings is All of those seven minutes, minutes are just um, Gerard Depardieu walking onto a beach in slow motion. Uh, yes. Or Michael Wincott being uh, uh, threatening in some way or another. <laughs> Uh, can we talk for half a second? Michael Wincott in Nope is so much Michael fun. Michael Wincott! Michael oh, Wincott, God. as I said in my letterbox review, giving Scott Glenn drag in the best possible way. Um, 
So much fun. Such a good time. So growly. Fucking loved Nope. Loved it so much. Yeah, Nope's fantastic. Uh, Can't wait to go back. Yeah, same. All right, which one of these movies was the shortest? Mm, Tadpole. It's yes. like an hour and ten minutes. It is 78 minutes strong. Yes, it is. All right. Which of those movies got the highest domestic box office total? Um, It's not infamous, because that got, like, a million dollars. Was it Exodus Gods and Kings? It was. At, at, Even though it was a bomb? Uh, yes. So the highest grossing of all these movies only made $65 million domestic. So this is not <laughs> a particularly uh, lucrative set of movies, I will say. Through no fault of Gwyneth's or Sigourney's, but still. All right. With the exception of the Meyerowitz stories, which was uh, streaming on Netflix, which got the lowest... Damn it, I thought I had that right. No, which got the lowest okay, the domestic lowest... box office total, besides Meyerowitz? Has to be Infamous. It is Infamous. It's $1.15 for, uh, million for Infamous. I will say, wait, there was another one that came close to it, and... Um... Tadpole? It might have been Tadpole. Uh, Tadpole was two point eight nine million. I thought there was another one that was like a mill and change, but maybe I'm wrong. Yes, yeah, Sylvia one point three one million was the second. Wow, list. Sylvia only made one million yep. dollars. Yeah. Wow. Yep. 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 All right. Next question: Which of these eleven movies got the highest Rotten Tomatoes score? Ice Storm. No. Wow. Okay. Ice Storm, I believe, um, was second. To Meyerowitz? To Meyerowitz, yes. Uh, Meyerowitz Stories got 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ice Storm got 85%. So, yes. Um, The lowest Rotten Tomatoes score. Exodus Gods and Kings. Exodus Gods and Kings with 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Only 30 I would have thought it would have been lower, yes, man. Yes, yes. Uh, which of these movies are the only two, which two of these movies are the only ones to not open in the fourth quarter of the year that they opened in? Um, so opened before September in their year. Possession. Yes. Opened in August. Yes. And is it the ice storm? The Ice Storm played Can, so that yeah. would make sense. But didn't open proper until, uh, opened limited in early fall and then didn't open wide oh. until December. It's Tadpole. Tadpole it is was Tadpole. a summer movie. Yes, it's another August movie. Yes. All right. Which of these movies is the only one directed by a woman? Um, 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 Sylvia. Sylvia, yes, Christine Jeffs. All right. Uh, which two movies on this list feature a score by Michael Dana? Possession. No. Oh. Proof? Uh, no. Okay. Ice Storm. Yes. Bounce? Bounce. Yes. Bounce and the Ice Storm. Uh, both with scores by Michael Dana. Um... Which two movies feature a score by Gabriel Yared? Possession. Yes. Sylvia. Yes. Very good. Okay. 
All right. Which one of these movies was distributed by Paramount? Um, 1492? Yes. God. Yeah. You're unsettlingly good at this game. I swear to God. All right. <laughs> which one of these movies, which is the only one of these movies whose cinematographer is an Oscar winner for cinematography? For cinematography. I'm just throwing that out there as a caveat in case somebody wants to come at me with like, oh, they won a short film Oscar or something like that. Um, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, isn't Exodus Gods and Kings someone? Exodus? No, that's Darius Wolski. It is. I think. Yes. Um, I want to say it's the Ice Storm because that movie looks phenomenal, but is it 1492? No, 1492 is Adrian Biddle. Okay, is it the Ice Storm? No, the Ice Storm, uh, Frederick Elms. Is it Possession? It is not Possession. Jeez. Um, Is it Proof? No. It honestly might be the last one you guess, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Is it Sylvia? No. Oh my god. Um, it sure as shit isn't Tadpole. It's um, not Tadpole. You're right about that. <laughs> now I don't know which of these I've guessed or not. Is it like Meyerowitz stories? No, Meyerowitz stories is uh, Robbie Ryan, actually. Future Oscar winner. Let's hope. Um, You've maybe guessed everything else except for this one. Did I not guess Bounce? You've not guessed Bounce, and it is Bounce, in fact. Cinematographer Robert Elswit for Bounce. Oscar winner for There Will Be Blood. Got it. Yes. Um, All right. Right after you compliment me for... (laughs) Yeah, I jinxed you. (laughs) Which movie had the tagline, he's looking forward to a memory he won't have to suppress? Oh, that doesn't sound very nice. Uh, Tadpole? Not Tadpole. Oh, Running with Scissors. Yes, Running with Scissors, of course. 1492! <laughs> the he being Christopher Columbus. Exodus, Gods, and Kings. The he being Moses. Um, yes, all right. <laughs> Which two of these movies feature stars of Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby? Okay, so Great Gatsby has Leo. It has uh, Tobey Maguire. So that is The Ice Storm. Correct. And... There's also Joel Edgerton. There is um, Carrie Mulligan. Um, hmm. Oh, Debicki is in that movie. She is. Hmm. Hmm. Indeed. Is Debicki the? It can't be Debicki. It's not Debicki. Am I forgetting somebody that is in Great Gatsby? Have I mentioned the person? Yes, you have. Okay. Um, Isla Fisher. Debicki. Um, Leo. Oh, Joel Edgerton is in Exodus Gods and Kings. He is, in fact. He's Ramses, I believe. Uh, Somewhere Exodus under Gods that eyeliner is <laughs> yes, Joel Edgerton. Exactly. All right. Which two movies on this list feature stars of the movie Zodiac? Um. Okay. So Zodiac is a million people. 
Uh, Brian Cox is in Running with Scissors. Correct. And Jakey. Do we have Jakey in any of these movies? No. Do we have Ruffalo in any of these movies? No. Huh. Ooh, this is hard. Okay, so Jake, RDJ, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Brian Cox, John Carroll Lynch. Ooh, John Carroll Lynch. Which one of these is he in? Oh, no, wait. Jake's in proof. Yeah, I, I was waiting for it. Like the smallest cast of all of these movies. I'm an idiot. You sped right by it. Yeah, okay. Which of these movies is the only one to be nominated for a Writers Guild Award? Ice Storm. The Ice Storm, correct. All right. Which of these movies did Kenneth Turan say in his review was, quote, about as moving as a month-old Kleenex? (laughs) Um... Bounce? Bounce, correct. (laughs) That seems like something uh, Turan would not like. Which of these movies did Newsweek's Jack Kroll sum up with a single word, hubris? Oh, uh... Exodus, Gods, and Kings? Nope. Running with Scissors? Nope. Infamous? Nope. Great. Um, Sylvia. No. 1492. Yes, 1492, Conquest of Paradise. All right. Which of these movies did Rex Reed say in his review was, quote, infinitely fascinating, cinematically breathtaking, and largely impeccable? Okay. Uh, Exodus, Gods, and Kings. No. Okay, because Rex Reed is uh, interesting. Yes. Infamous? Infamous was infinitely fascinating, (laughs) cinematically breathtaking, and largely impeccable, says noted bitch Rex Reed. So, honestly, that is the end of our quiz. Christopher, as always, you impress me with with how well you do with this. All right. I think that's probably the best and worst I've ever done at that quiz. Uh, Honestly, probably yes. And fitting, given that it was a supersized uh, affair. So... Um, we talked about Daniel Craig with uh, with the the brown hair, the black hair actually, and uh, you not Who's loving his say? performance. It was the same year as Casino Royale, but he also he's the only person from this movie to get an acting nomination at anything. He was an Independent Spirit Award nominee for this movie. Uh, uh, this was, of course, oh six was the year that Little Miss Sunshine ran away with. Uh, from Sundance all the way to big Oscar nominations. It was a big hit at the Independent Spirit Awards. Alan Arkin won Best Supporting Actor that year. Paul Dano was also nominated for Little Miss Sunshine. Steve Carell continued to not be able to get arrested for his legitimately excellent performance in that movie. will never fail to <sighs> baffle me. Um, also nominated Channing Tatum for A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. I remember that being a big part of his sort of breakthrough into, you know, Hollywood. Because uh, that and Step Up and 
what's the Twelfth Night movie that I can never remember with soccer and Amanda Bynes. She's the man. She's the man. All around the same time, I feel like, all of those movies. Um, and then the fifth nominee was Raymond J. Barry, who is an actor, is a character actor you've probably seen in stuff. I mostly know him as uh, Timothy Oliphant's No Good Father on Justified. Uh, he was in a movie called Steel City. And that was your that was your Independent Spirit Award field that uh, Daniel Craig was included in. I imagine this was not a fave <laughs> nomination of yours. Okay, I don't think he's, I don't think he's good, but I don't think he's horrible. Okay, and we will leave it at that. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, yeah, I mean, what else can we talk about? The sort of ephemera of this movie. It was a Warner Independent movie. We talked about when we did our episode on A Prairie Home Companion. That was a Picture House movie, which was a indie shingle for New Line that mostly operated under the auspices of Warner Brothers alongside Warner Independent. This was kind of the golden age of studio-supported indie shingles. We've talked about this before. I have an odd fondness for Warner Independent as an entity even though I they were never they were certainly never like focus features level of like I love their movies, but I was like, "Oh, it's an I mean, always they weren't around long enough to be." Their roster was always kind of really interesting. The 2006 in particular, other than Infamous, they had the Richard Linkletter Scanner Darkly, which was his Philip K Dick adaptation that was rotoscope animation in the style of Waking Life. Waking Life of the two of them is by far my favorite of those two. I thought A Scanner Darkly was fine. I was not really, I was never really like into Philip K. Dick as like a, a, a youth. I feel like a lot of people sort of maybe get into him in college and whatnot. Um, did you ever see A Scanner Darkly? I actually haven't. I was going to mention that. Should I check it out? It's interesting. It's worth checking out. I mean, you know, Winona like Ryder, you know, can't go wrong with with you know Winona in I mean 06 by 06 she was kind of you know recovering from from the shoplifting scandal and whatnot but uh we had freed Winona we had freed Winona and we had freed her to participate in post-apocalyptic I don't know if it was necessarily post-apocalyptic sort of dystopian adjacent uh whatever was going on in Scanner Darkly right right uh a movie I have not seen was the Michel Gondry movie The Science of Sleep which is supposed to be fine. That's Gael Garcia Bernal is in that? Yeah. I want to say. Yeah. But for a brief second, because, you know, Eternal Sunshine had won that screenplay Oscar, yeah. we figured, oh, well, maybe Michelle Gondry is, uh, makes Oscar movies now. And uh, and then he was like, like hey, <laughs> bitch. He's like, by the way, I'm strange. Yes. <laughs> it's so funny that, like, after Eternal Sunshine, because, like, Charlie Kaufman had been on a streak where he was making movies that were like strange, but also very palatable for the Academy. And then Michel Gondry, uh, he hooks up with Gondry and the two of them get together. And like, that's the movie that wins Kaufman the Oscar finally, which like looking back on it now is kind of miraculous that he won an Oscar. Um, and then since then, the both of them sort of like flew off into space and decided to make increasingly, uh, esoteric slash off-putting <laughs> films in terms of uh awards stuff i know uh people really like a lot of charlie kaufman stuff and i do too not just all got of it flooded but... with 
remembering I'm thinking of ending things for the first time in at least a year. Yeah, people really loved that movie, Chris. What a flash in the pan, and then it was gone. Yeah. Um, anyway, also Warner Independent in 06. Uh, for your consideration, something of a patron saint of this podcast, even though I don't really like it very much. I, don't, I can't no, remember. No, it's not a good movie. Yeah. Uh, that was the sort of the big Christopher Guest letdown after the holy trinity of Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, and A Mighty Wind. And I was like, oh, three of my favorite comedies of my lifetime, and then he's making a movie about the Oscars? How can this go wrong? And uh, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like For Your Consideration, unfortunately. It it relies... I mean, like, we can talk a little bit about it, because we uh, i've always said like if we ever do that movie it has to be our last yes. episode yes um it, it relies so much more on plot than the other movies and because of that where it's like this scene has to take us to the next thing of where like yeah. people are learning about like oscar blogs in the movie and like yeah uh, well here's my question chris there's not as many jokes i agree with that i don't think it's very funny but part of me also feels like it is it's a nastier movie than the other ones but i'll say that with the caveat that if i were a person who did dog shows would i feel that way about best in show like do i feel that way about for your consideration <laughs> because i'm too in the soup to feel objective about i think it. that's just what the tone of a christopher guest movie is going to feel like when it's not funny I think that's probably true. I think that's probably right. When the jokes don't land, that's that's what the tone is going to read. Like yeah. it's going to read as mean. Yeah, I think it is. I, I, and granted, and even I at mean, the time, maybe mascots didn't feel mean. But I don't like, think mascots felt mean. I don't think mascots felt much like anything. I'm the apologist for mascots that I thought it was a little bit funnier than people thought uh, than people gave it credit for. I've also never seen it since the first time I watched it. Um, so many of our listeners are going to be like, what is mascots? Yeah, I mean, kind Good of. Listeners. Yeah. As if Netflix wasn't just a soup, an abyss that is also a soup where, you know, ingredients float in never to return to the top. Christopher Guest made a Netflix movie that you have never heard of, probably. I will say... Parker Posey is very funny in it, and Tom Bennett from Love and Friendship is also very funny in it. You know what Parker Posey is very funny in? What? The Staircase. <laughs> yes. Rimming. Does anybody know Rimming, what that means? fucking, and sucking. That this woman knew her husband was talking about fucking this and sucking that. <laughs> God knows what else. Rimming. Y'all even know what that means? It's the best. It's the greatest line reading in, in, in television. It's basically the Tati Westbrook quote. Oh, my God. All right. All right. Uh, other, also, uh, we mentioned The Painted Veil was also 2006 Warner Independent. What a time to be alive, the time of Warner Independent films. Um, One thing I want to say about Infamous, because it, it that festival run is kind of wild. I mean, Capote didn't go to, Ve- to I almost said Vegas. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yes. I'm sure there is some type of Vegas film festival, but like, yeah. what if we were all like hauling off to Vegas yeah. in the fall for like a major fall festival yeah. in Vegas? No, Venice. Capote didn't go to Venice. What was Capote... it Venice that year? Do you have that pulled up? Of the Capote year or this year? This year, uh, the infamous year. You better believe I have it pulled up because this is actually a pretty big uh, like 
Hollywood movie Venice. Like they try to say that it is like a new thing. Was it Babel that year? That it's awesome. Huh? Was it Babel that year? Babel was a can that year. I see. Uh, some of the titles that listeners may recognize, uh, Paul Verhoeven's Black Book, The Black Dahlia, which we can't do an episode on because it has that Unfortunately, nomination. yeah. Bobby, notedly our 50th episode. <laughs> uh, chosen by the listeners. Children of Men. God, so good. The Fountain, a movie I would love We're to gonna do The Fountain soon. at some point. We definitely will. Uh, uh, sandwich that because I, uh, we maybe have an idea then. Hollywood Land, failed Ben Affleck Oscar vehicle. Yeah. Hollywood Land. Yeah. Um, let me go through the rest of these. Paprika, the animated film Paprika, The Queen. Sure. And then, uh, the Golden Lion winner is Zsa Zsa's Still Life. We are both uh, Mountains Made Apart. I know. I've never fans. seen Still Life. I should. I should put that on my list. Still Life's good. I like some of the other ones more. Did you ever watch Ashes Purest White? No. I, 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 Ooh, you I would know. love that movie. I know. I really do have to. That was one of those where the the demands of what i needed to watch for for that award season once i had to like you know work essentially and like write about some stuff that sort of kept falling to the bottom of the list because it wasn't really in any kind of conversation and i didn't yeah. see it at whatever festival it played at it did was it was it tiff Yes, I saw that on my last. I should have just seen it tiff. at tiff yeah and i i was at the point where i was like okay I have to store up every ounce of energy that I have to give my full <laughs> self to this movie. Yeah. And then I have nothing. As soon as I leave this theater, I have truly nothing left to give. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. Love that movie. Nice. You would like that movie a lot. All right. I definitely do want to watch it. It is on my list. So, yes. Um. Yeah, that's a cool Venice. That's, uh, that's a good time. Catherine Deneuve was uh, in charge of the jury. They did not give any prizes to Infamous. Was Infamous in competition? Oh wait, I thought it was in competition. Maybe I don't. I I, I didn't. Like I I ask that as purely an open-ended question. I do not know whether it was. Uh, or not. yeah. Well, no. It looks like it was in a sidebar, but okay. it still premiered there. And then still goes on to Telluride, which Capote World premiered at, plays, I guess, Toronto, too. I see. But it's just, uh, you would understand why this movie, given the cast that it is, that can show up at a premiere on a red carpet. Yeah. Yeah. Why that would get booked at a big festival. I should also mention, I I said that uh, Daniel Craig was the only cast member to be nominated for anything. I that's not true, Ellen. No, it's not. Uh Toby Jones was uh, actually won British Actor of the Year at the London Film Critics Circle that year. Um beating out a really interesting, I would say, uh lineup including his I would imagine a uh, rival for roles in, in Timothy Spall. I imagine Toby Jones and Timothy Spall are up for a lot of the same parts. Timothy Spall's a little more gruff. Toby Jones has a more, you know, lighthearted aura. I agree, but I still feel like a lot of the stuff that 
I see Timothy Spall playing, I'd be like, I could see Toby Jones doing that. Like that, that to me feels like it could be. Anyway. Did I tell you I rewatched Secrets and Lies on my plane yes, to my vacation? You did. Timothy Spall in the pantheon of great saying the title of the movie in the movie. <laughs> you know I love that. You know that it's a secret uh, uh, passion of mine. We should all love that. If you don't love it, you should. You don't know how to have a good time if you don't love when that happens. But like in Secrets and Lies, it's a real good one. Other nominees at the London Film Critics Circle and Best British Actor of the Year, uh, Christian Bale in The Prestige, uh, uh, Christopher sure. Nolan's The Prestige, Sasha Baron Cohen in Borat, and my once-and-future-husband, uh, James McAvoy in The Last King of Scotland, a movie where... Once-and-future, so you've divorced, <laughs> but you want to get back yes. with him. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Listen, why'd you divorce? Why would you divorce James? Because you know he could, he had better prospects, and then uh, you know he had his fun. Oh, it wasn't your decision. And then he, no, 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 it was not my decision. No, but he's, you know, he came back to me, or he will come back to me, I guess. Uh, Last King of Scotland, a movie where you see his little bum bum, and it's nice. And uh, more. Yeah, yeah, it's good. All right, you get the full Halloween candy bag. Um, that's not the. Uh, only other award that was received. What? Sandra Bullock was Supporting Actress of the Year from the Hollywood Film Awards, which we have not talked about recently. Cursed, these are basically cursed like, thing. Cursed. They were given out in the summer. <laughs> sure. And it's always like, okay, your publicist uh, has gotten this for you type of awards. We've talked about them in the past. I don't think they exist anymore, but like... yeah. They used to be these real, like, okay, come on, until they pulled it out for somebody that it was like, okay, maybe maybe people were onto something. So she it wins this award, but it's also for another movie. It's Infamous and another movie. Which Sandra Bullock movie do you think it was? 2006, or would this have been a 2005 carryover? I believe this is 2006. So not Crash. I was going to mention, I didn't mention this before, this really was in the thick of Sandra Bullock, I'm going to say trying for Oscar, and no, when I say that, I don't mean that as a pejorative, but like, Sandra Bullock taking roles that could plausibly lead to Oscar success, and just... And then premonition. And not getting them. Like, Crash, everything went right for Crash, except for Sandra Bullock getting an acting nomination. Everything went wrong for Infamous, and the role that she played got an acting nomination for somebody else in another movie. You know what I mean? Like, just right. just the, 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 the fates were against her around this time. Um, She's not bad in the movie. It's just everything that she is tasked to do is everything that Catherine Keener was tasked to do and it's just like yeah Catherine Keener just like does it without even speaking oh and also Catherine Keener's in the better written movie like it's right yeah right and like that relationship is better written in that movie. yes like I feel like it, it, with less screen time that, it's like, more we, impactful right yeah right like yeah uh, the other movie that they nominated her for supporting actress of the year or awarded her uh-huh is the lake house get the heck out of here <laughs> i've never seen the lake house the that's movie that i believe she is first built is that her and keanu and the enchanted mailbox yes I've, i should see that movie even though i've i've not heard great things about it but i should see that movie <laughs> why didn't they call it the enchanted Mailbox? i they should have right 
They should have called it Sandra and Keanu and the Enchanted Mailbox, because that's honestly (laughs) what sells tickets to that. Like, let's be real. Let's be clear. It's, It's time to be real. And when I say that, I mean to admit that the lake house should have been called Sandra and Keanu and the Enchanted It's time to be real. It's like a selfie of Sandra in a, like, oversized cardigan and the inside of her mailbox. I was going to say, it's time to be real. The one side is Sandra peering into the mailbox, and the other side is Keanu Reeves at the other side of the mailbox. That's the only way I will approve of Be Real. I think it's a cursed thing. I think it's a horrible thing for the culture. I hate that it exists, but I like it for that I mean, particular purpose. This is what purpose. I thought about Be Real, and then I got on there. And uh, Be Real is way more just like sign of life check-in app than anything. Like most, I do think most people, like myself included, like it's not necessarily flattering selfies. But like ultimately, I do think it's depressing me a little bit more because I, I am doing one of two things on my B reels. I am working at my desk, yeah, or I am watching a movie with a cocktail. So people think that I am a shut-in who never. Leaves I don't their need house that kind of reminder about drunk. my life. I don't need a reminder of the monotony of my life. And certainly, I am not putting pictures of myself available to anyone where I look. Well, it's not open. You don't have an open profile. It's just who you're friends with. Even that. I don't like getting my picture taken when I feel like I look okay. I'm certainly not going to have my picture taken when I look just like sitting on a couch doing work. Absolutely not. No, I think it's a horrid thing. I I, I reject it. (laughs) Uh, Mary, we love you. We reject this blasphemy, but it's me about be real. Um, all right. Should we, should we? Benedetta would have had great be reals. All right. Should we move on to, uh, to the IMDb game? Yeah. All right. Tell, tell the children. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hits. That indeed is the IMDb game. Chris, would you like to give first or guess first? I'll give first. All right. So we literally just talked about Sandra Bullock winning a dubious, we shall say, (laughs) supporting actress award from the Hollywood Film Awards. Who do you think they gave their breakthrough actress award to? In 06? Yes. Like Rinko Kikuchi? No. Jennifer Hudson? Like somebody like, like... No. Was it somebody who was Oscar nominated at all? No. 06. Perhaps somebody who had already been in multiple breakthrough <laughs> roles. Great. Um, from the motion picture, Bobby. Your challenge Lindsay? is Lindsay Lohan. Lin- Jesus H. All right. Well, we've just done a Lindsay. All right. Parent okay. Trap. Parent Trap. Correct. Perhaps her actual breakthrough. Role. Yeah, I would say. Um. Oh, she was on Another World before that. I need to mention that. I'm contractually obligated to mention she was on the daytime soap opera Another World, playing uh, Allie Fowler um, as so a little kid. You know her character's name. Well, Allie was the daughter of Amanda and Sam, and see, Amanda was the daughter of like the okay. great publishing 
uh, scion of this family, of the sort of central family, and she was like the daughter of the super couple of the show. So like that's a prime position. And then she started dating this musician named Sam, who had like long hair, and like did they really approve of him? And was he like good enough for the Corey family? And ultimately, they fell in love and had this like torrid romance. And she got pregnant, and then she had Allie, and Allie was uh, played by several different actresses along the way. But at one point, it was Lindsay Lohan. So there. Um. Mean Girls. Correct. All right. Um, all right. I think when Lindsay played Allie, she had a crush on Jake, maybe, who was like this like adult who was like. Are this you going to just be guy. filling all of your time with her? That's why I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. Character. I'm thinking. No, okay. All right. So I don't think it's going to be something like, oh, is it like Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen? Incorrect. Damn. No perfect score for Lindsay for you. I was hoping. It oh, would this is a movie that I keep forgetting, even though it was like very popular at the time. But Freaky Friday, Freaky Friday, correct. All right, so I got three. All right, and Jamie Lee Curtis was conceivably eighth, ninth. I always feel like her chances were a little bit elevated that from people who thought she should have. Like, I know she got, like, the right. Golden Globe nomination and whatnot, but, like, I don't know if Oscar voters were looking at the Freaky Friday remake for nominating purposes. What year was that? I do feel like Disney kind of pushed her. 03. 03? Maybe. Not a great Best Actress year. Yeah, but there was a lot going on that year. I, I don't think she beat out Kidman's vote total. I don't even know if she beat out like Jennifer Connelly's vote total, given how well House of Sand and Fog did in the other ask, acting categories. Right. Um, I don't know. That's that's worth digging into at some point. But uh, there's also a lot of comedy actress stuff going on. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Scarjo, etc. Yes. You have one movie and one wrong guess. All right, all right. What else? Lindsay. I don't think it's Prairie Home Companion, even though I think it should be, because she's excellent in that. Um, I don't think it's like Georgia Rule, even though that would be funny. Um, I don't think it's the uh, the sexy sex movie that she was in. Uh, <laughs> the sexy the, the sex Paul Schrader movie. movie. What was the Paul Schrader movie? Uh, uh, the Canyons. The Canyons, which I saw at a Lincoln Center screening with, like, <laughs> Dina Lohan, like, a row and a half away from me. It was weird. It was weird. Did she watch the movie, like, on her phone? I don't, I wasn't paying that close of attention to her, but she was literally taking every photo op available to her after this movie. Lindsay was not at the screening, but Dina definitely was. Um, or if at least if Lindsay was at the screening, she wasn't, like, publicly at the screening she might have like slunk in or whatever dina lohan um, just hangs out at the walter reed she's like you know checking out the <laughs> Hashan movies yeah tina lohan loves art in that way like she's a very she's a connoisseur um what is Lindsay's fourth movie um can't give you any hints yet uh, all right you know what we did this for the f cinema scores draft it did get a lot of attention so i'm gonna guess i know who killed me i know who killed me Yes, that's it? Yep. Yay, okay, all right. Almost a perfect score. I shouldn't have guessed Teenage Drama Queen. That was silly. That was dumb. She didn't have a song from that movie, though. She's on that poster probably no less than nine times. (laughs) All right, Lindsay Lohan. All right, that's not a bad, that's a pretty accurate known for. That's kind of the four things that she's known for. So there we go. All right, for you, Chris, um, 
In Infamous, playing the uh, the sheriff in Kansas is Jeff Daniels. His counterpart in Capote for that same role was Mr. Chris Cooper. So, why don't you give us Chris Cooper? All right. Adaptation. Yes, his Oscar win. His Oscar win. Um, American Beauty. Yes, arguably his breakthrough. I know he had been in things before that that people took notice of, but I feel like American Beauty was a level up. I'm going to take a guess that American Beauty is the oldest movie on his known for, though he had, like, John Sayles movies. Yeah, he was in Lone Star, I believe, right? Um, So I don't think anything older than American Beauty is going to be on there, but the question is what the hell else would be there? I mean, I think October Sky is not there, though that's like super top of mind. I'll just say it, October Sky. Incorrect. Not October yeah. Sky. I just needed to get that out of my brain. Yeah. Um, hmm, Christopher Cooper. Reboot Hanging with Mr. Cooper, but with Chris Cooper. <laughs> yes. I'm stalling. Um, yeah, now who's making fun of me for talking about it? I know, I need to do, Wouldn't like... you love to have a, a soap opera to talk about right I need about the family lineages for, like, Dawson's Creek or something. <laughs> That's a soap I watched. Um, not technically a soap, but, like, come on. Um, Jesus, Chris Cooper. Um, what's the... Why can't I think of it? The movie where I can see Chris Cooper crying... Um, and I'm also thinking of her, which he was entirely cut out of. Uh, <laughs> uh, if it's the movie that I'm thinking of when I think of Chris Cooper crying, I really am mad at you that you can't pull this title. Oh, shit. Um, Is Capote one of them? No, it's not. Okay. All right, two strikes. Good. So I your need years, these years, your years are two thousand seven and twenty thirteen. Two thousand seven, twenty thirteen. Yes. Okay. Obviously, both post his Oscar, so I was on the right track. Yes. You is are. he crying in one of these movies? I don't believe he is. Hmm. What was the Chris Cooper movie you were thinking of where he was crying? Little Women. Oh my God! Come on. I was crying when Chris Cooper was crying. I'm saying, when Chris Cooper cries in that movie, what I cry. a fucking nice man. Should have been nominated. Oh, Should have been Oscar nominated. nice man. Yeah. Um, I'm going to need more hints, because like Chris Cooper okay. is like the hardest brand of person for this game. He's on the poster for both of these movies, although he's only a lead in one of them. Is one of them the John Sayles movie that he... No, it's like a political movie. Okay, no, no it's not. No, no, none of these are John Sayles movies. Um, He's on the one of them. For one of them. One of them is kind of a quasi-political thriller, although more heavily on the thriller than on the political. Is it like the Adjustment Bureau? No, but you're not far off. It's a little less um, sci-fi. sci-fi. It's more grounded in plausible reality. Breach. It's like a yes, breach, which I remember breach. being very well received at the time. That's I've 07, never seen right? It. 
That's the 07. Yeah. Your 2013, as I said, he's on the poster for that one too, but he's not a lead. Um, huh. It's kind of a memorable poster. With him um, on it. It's a disappointing movie, even though I find it quite watchable. Is it a summer movie? No, I believe it was a fall movie. A Disappointment, 2013. So this would have been the Gravity 12 Years a Slave year. Nine people on this poster. Oh, Jesus. Um, Okay. It's not like Ides of March. That's not even the right year. That's like 2011. That is 2011. Um, Nine people. Yeah. Ocean's Nine. You, uh, I know you don't like this movie. Uh, Oh. We could could not do it for this podcast. Because it does have a nomination. Does it have an acting nomination? Oh, it's August Osage County. Everybody on August Osage County is, has it in their known for. God. Yes. They're all on the poster. It is a memorable poster. It's the one where Julia's tackling. Uh, if uh, I remember Meryl. correctly, he might cry when he has that confrontation. That's why. Martin that's Martin. why I hesitated. That's why I hesitated. I couldn't quite remember if he cries in that or not. But, uh, but um, yeah. So I hope I didn't mislead you by saying he doesn't cry. Maybe the only person who's appropriately cast in that entire movie. Well, Julian Nicholson. Rules. Julianne Nicholson's great in that movie. Yeah. I really think she's fantastic. Best performance in that movie. Yes, I would agree. Um, although, again, I find that movie very watchable. And I think for as much as, you know, I like watching Meryl work in that movie, I will say. <laughs> um, she came to work. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. So there we go. Good job. All right. Infamous. And infamous. Not bad, not great. Makes me want to watch Capote. That's kind of the long and short of it. All right. That's our episode. Listeners, if you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at ChrisVFile. That's F-E-I-L. Yes, find Chris bemoaning the lack of Gore Vidal's in our culture uh, on, on Letterboxd and Twitter. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed spelled the same way, both ways. That's R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So take a break from dancing the twist with your socialite pals and write us a review that humanizes and maybe condescends to us just a little. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. It's mystery Why should it make A fool of me I saw you there One wonderful day You took my heart And threw it away That's why I asked the Lord In heaven above What is this thing